time for me to say good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I know that. They pointed at me. <laughs> we appreciate those guys in the back. They have a lot to do on a Sunday morning, and maybe we don't think about that as much, but they do a wonderful job. Okay, first thing I need to say is that um, there's a blue Saturn with their lights on out in the parking lot. And um, the guys had no way to get in the car to turn off the lights. So <laughs> I've always wanted to see who's going to stand up, right? <laughs> and it was taken care of. Do what now? It's taken care of. It's taken care of. We broke in and turned out the lights. <laughs> That's right. New passenger drawer, new window, but everything's good. The light. <laughs> but the lights are out. All right. Well, it's good to see all you guys today. Um, you know, uh, this past week was Veterans Day, and we don't want to forget our veterans. We certainly appreciate all those men and women who have served and do serve, and so I just want to recognize those. I know we don't do this a whole lot, but if you've served our country, and uh, we'd like to just give you a round of applause for your service. We appreciate all you do. So if you'd stand up, please. Please. several stories this past week. I like history a lot and I was reading a lot about some of the veterans and their stories and I came across one that I found very interesting. Um, the American flag symbolizes the hope and inspiration that is the essence of everyone and everything in the United States. There's a story that epitomizes that and it's a story of a Vietnam War prisoner. Um, he was from Selma, Alabama. His name is Mike Christian. Came from, uh, like I said, a small town in Selma. He didn't wear a pair of shoes until he was 13 years of age. At 17, he enlisted in the Navy, later to earn a commission and became a naval flying officer and was shot down and captured in 1967. The uniforms the Americans wore were the Vietnamese pajamas, only they were blue and rubber sandals made of automobile tires. Mike contrived a bamboo needle for himself and collecting some, some cloth of red and white, he sewed an American flag on the inside of his shirt. And it was the practice of the prisoners that every afternoon before they got their ration of soup, they would hang Mike's shirt on the wall and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, repeating the Pledge of Allegiance may not be the most important part of the average American day, but for those men in that stark prison cell, it was the most important and meaningful event of their day. One day, the Vietnamese searched the cell and discovered Mike's shirt with the flag sewn inside, removed it and him, and for the, quote, benefit of the other prisoners beat Mike Christian severely for the next couple of hours. Then they opened the door and threw him back inside. 
Mike was not in good shape, and the others tried to comfort and take care of him as best they could. The cell had a concrete slab on which the men slept each night. After things had quieted down for the evening, in the corner of the room, sitting beneath that dimly lit bulb with a piece of white cloth, a piece of red cloth, and another blue shirt and his bamboo needle was Mike Christian. His eyes almost swollen shut from the beating, he was fashioning another American flag. Mike Christian was not making that flag because it made him feel better. He was making that flag because he knew how important it was for his fellow prisoners to be able to pledge allegiance to our flag and to our country. So maybe the next time we stand up and we say the pledge, we might remember a man named Mike Christian who thought it so important to do that for those men who, who were with him in that prison. It's easy to forget. It really is as time goes by. And we just certainly appreciate all those men and women who have served and who do serve. And um, I'd just like to have a word of prayer and thank the Lord for the freedom that we have in our country to worship him. And uh, so let's do that together. Father, we are thankful today that we live in a, a free country. And while we see some freedoms being stripped away in some ways, I pray that we would um, find comfort in the fact that, Lord, we are able to assemble freely. Uh, we're able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we, we don't have anything impeding us from doing that. Uh, we have freedom. I thank you for men like Mike Christian, who in our history um, saw the importance of freedom and were willing to put their line, their life on the line for freedom. I thank you for all those who serve in the military today, those who have served. We pray for the protection of our men and women around the world today, even as they're coming to a time of year that's very difficult for them to be away from home. So we just pray for them, and I pray, Father, that you would help us if we know folks that are away from their families this time of year that are serving, that we might remember them and maybe even send them something to remind them that there are people who do remember and who do care. So, Father, we just thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. And um, I just pray, Father, this morning that uh, what we do uh, through song, through testimony, uh, through looking at your word, that, that the Lord Jesus would be honored in everything, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> One of the things we have the opportunity to do every once in a while here at, at Grace is um, be reintroduced to our missionaries uh, who visit us, and um, most of you will know Luke and Naomi, but there will be some in here who do not know, can you imagine that, do not know Luke and Naomi Milam who've been serving uh, on the mission field in the great land of Georgia the state of Georgia. So, um, Luke, you and Naomi come, and I guess Naomi's going to sit. You can stay right there. Luke, you come. Yes, sir. Yesterday afternoon, Thad sent me a text and said, take as much time as you want. <laughs> but it's it's nice to be here uh <clears throat> it's nice to be around uh, some alabama people 
And, but it's uh, an honor to be able to serve God and know that where God has you, he has called you. And that's just an awesome place to be. And uh, we, Naomi grew up in this church, Springville Road Community Church, and we came here for years. We got five kids, three are grown, uh, one's in Hawaii preparing to go to the Philippines, and Adeline's preparing to go back to Hawaii, and then not sure where she's going to end up after that. And uh, Ethan is preparing to move to Rome, Georgia. And then we got Justice and Lydia here. But uh, we started this ministry about uh, 2019, and we had a passion. I was in drug rehab ministry at that time, and we had a passion to reach the whole family, not just the guys or the men that were coming through the program. And then COVID hit. Uh, Naomi had started working with kids' clubs at a food kitchen, soup kitchen type of place. And COVID hit, and we said, we want to do something because God's called us to not sit on our blessed assurances, but he's called us to go into all the world no matter what the world brings to us. And so I drove past this really junky motel, and God said, I want you to serve a meal to them. And came home and said, Naomi, let's go serve a meal to this motel. She was like, ah. she was not excited. And, but the awesome, submissive wife that she is, we, we served a meal, and it was, it's just been really neat ever since. We now have four motels. We served two of them yesterday, and up in Cedartown, Georgia, we have two up there. And really rough motels up there. Uh, a lot of trafficking, both human and uh, drugs and just a lot of things going on up there and we're uh, looking at some different ministries hoping by the spring we'll have a ministry to the uh, housing authority up in that area but uh, we got two motels in Bremen, Georgia and hoping soon to have a motel in Temple, Georgia but uh, oh yeah I'm in charge of this Okay, I'm not used to being in charge of the remote um, so we have adopted this uh, geographical location where uh, Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. And because you've got Highway 78 and I-20 that go from Birmingham to Atlanta, then from uh, Birmingham to Chattanooga, you've got Highway 11 and I-59, and then from our place in Bremen, to Chattanooga, you've got Highway 27, and so there is just so much drug trafficking in this area. Uh, Harrelson County, where we live, is the number one county in Georgia for drug trafficking deaths, and a lot of meth activity, and just, there's just so many roads, and in Cedartown, where we have two, it's about 15 minutes from Piedmont, Alabama, so a lot of drugs come across the state lines right there. And so just trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these people. And our goal is to be in as many motels as possible in one area because these people move around. They'll, they might have a, 
enough money to get a week's worth of motel stay. And once they wear that out, then they'll move to the other motel. And so this motel that we're probably going to start in the next week or so, hopefully, um, it's one that it's right down the road from Bremen. And all these people just move from there to Bremen, back to there, back to another motel. And so the more motels we're at in the area, the more uh, continual ministry that we can have with these uh, people. So Naomi does this thing uh, called Kids Club. She directs this. She does a fantastic job. I think we did eight, seven, something like that. Seven Kids Clubs. We started out three years ago at our house, and now we're up to seven different locations all over the place, and we're hoping to make that a little bit bigger this summer. Uh, We're actually going to have a VBS in uh, a city park. Uh, This church up in Cedartown wants to take VBS outside of their church, take it to a city park so that they can reach the city and not try to just invite people to their building. And I was like, man, that's so cool. It's almost like the Great Commission. And uh, then Kids Club, uh, this is where Naomi first started. And uh, she does this. This is Buckhannon, Georgia. For some reason, they pronounce Buchanan, Buckhannon. I I don't know why, but it it sometimes annoys me. But so we we have, this is at a city park, and it's right down the street from an elementary school. And the middle school lets out at a different time than the elementary school. I don't know why. So they have an hour. That, they, that the parents just come to this park, bring their kids until elementary school lets out. And so uh, we've gotten, it's taken a long time, but uh, God has really brought her some consistent volunteers to help with this club. And then we have a club in Cedartown at Second Baptist Church where we, they have a celebrate recovery. And so once a month, Naomi goes there, takes care of the kids while their parents are being ministered to. And then the soup kitchen uh, called the Community Christian Community Council, CCC, in Tallapoosa, Georgia. And she does that. And we had a big group there last time. 25 kids. So, and some of them, last time it ranged from like two years old to like 12. So, wide age range. And so, uh, but it's, it's awesome to be in that environment, <clears throat> they during the first ta- years of doing that with Naomi, there were kids that did not know really what the Bible was. They didn't know what a grape was. Like they try to teach them about nutrition. They there's just a lot of things that they just had not ever heard of because they grew up in a very uh, generational poverty type of situation, and so just helping them. Uh, become what God wants them to be is there's a lot more to it than just teaching them a Bible story. And Benji's Bible Club, this is, uh, Naomi uh, began writing this. We, we wanted to give them a story. We do Mailbox Club, but we're not allowed to call it Mailbox Club because that's copyrighted. And so we changed it to Benji's Bible Club. And Naomi began writing a story based on this butterfly uh, about Pilgrim's Progress. And so they have a Bible store in the front, flip it over, and you got Benji's Club, and it's a continual story throughout 
the whole 10 lessons. And if they finish these lessons, then you get like a personalized Bible and uh, like a Chick-fil-A gift card. There was one kid that said, oh, I don't like Chick-fil-A. I was like, oh, are you, you need to be saved. And, and, and then this coming year, they're doing a scholarship to summer camp. This is our first year to have a summer camp. We were about to have one, then COVID hit. And so we're teaming up with you guys and having a summer camp uh, in connection with y'all. And so we're really excited about that. And hopefully we'll get some uh, kids from the motels and different places to come and just get a week away from their environment. That'll be so cool. I'm excited about that. Motel mission. So our goal when we do this is we start out with a once a month meal at wherever we go and and we do this differently at different places uh, in Cedartown. Right now, the owners won't let us set up tables, so we just take meals door to door. At this particular motel, this is Green Oaks Motel in Bremen. Uh, they have, I mean, there's people that have lived at this motel for 16 years. Uh, lot, most of these people are long-term stay people, and so we're able to set up, we're able to do whatever we want there. The owners love us, and uh, set up tables. We have people come out. We have two rooms that come to church with us now. And so it's, but it takes at least a year to really build the relationship with them. Uh, a lot of them have been broken so much that they don't trust anybody. And so it takes uh, that one guy right there, the ball headed guy, or less hair. Um, is uh, his son goes to church with us all the time, but they've they've been there about uh, a year, year and a half, and he is just now starting to trust us. He went to a church years ago and just really hurt in that church. At this same motel, there's a guy who has his master's in theology, and he was in prison ministry, his wife divorced him, and he went nights, got on drugs, and he's been there about five or six years. And then there's another guy that's living there that used to be a youth pastor, and his family got messed up. He got onto drugs, and the church kicked him out of the, kicked him out, and left him. And he's really hurting. And so, just because these people live in a motel doesn't mean they don't know anything about the Bible. A lot of times they've been hurt by it. And so just coming beside them and eating a meal, and then we try to do stuff with them, take them out to eat, um, just hanging out with them. Uh, One guy, all he wanted was a bicycle, and he got a bicycle, so we bought him some little things to go along with it. Uh, Some of the motels don't provide heat, and so we try to buy them space heaters during the wintertime. Some of them don't have bed sheets. And so just giving them bed sheets and different things and just finding out their needs. Um, laundry service is huge uh, because a lot of these motels don't have any kind of laundry. So they have to take it to a laundromat. That's expensive to go to a laundromat. And so giving them different things, but not trying to build codependency and all that stuff, but just trying to meet their everyday needs, not their luxuries. And, uh, and it's a... It's a big thing. This is where we try to work too. 
with the motels is they've been so hurt by the church that we try to come beside them to help them heal from the church, that everybody in the church has some issues. I mean, I mean I've got issues. And, but we, you're fired. And so we started out writing this, uh, started out developing this uh, curriculum. We, we called it uh, SOZO originally, and I was just supposed to tweak this curriculum that I used at the rehab center where I was working. And the more I got into it, I was like, God, this isn't where I, I need to go with this. And God just continually uh, developed this thing, and we changed the name to Charis. It's the Greek word for grace. And I love the name so much better than Sozo. And Charis, they have such a hard time forgiving and living in grace. They have a hard time accepting God's grace. They also have a hard time showing God's grace. And so just changing this whole thing around just a little bit to uh, focus on God's grace instead of them uh, just learning to deal with the problem and forgiving people. And then God, a couple weeks ago, laid it on my heart to add another chapter to it uh, on expectations that we put on people and the expectations that we uh, put on God is uh, just unbiblical. And so, and, but that also ties into everything that they put on their life. They build these huge expectations that they put on people when, that are impossible to reach. And when those expectations fall short, they blame it on the other person. And so we want to help them work through setting good biblical expectations. And I love this quote, healing doesn't mean the trauma never occurred. It means the scars give testimony to the healer. And it's really neat to read the end of the New uh, Gospels where Jesus rises from the dead and he didn't heal himself of the scars. And that's, that's a testimony to us. He doesn't want our scars to be disappeared. Those are part of the testimony, part of our journey. And so walking with these people through all of this and just helping them reconnect with the church, reconnect with God, and then reconnect with their family. Because a lot of these people are dads, single dads that have been left in the and helping them reconnect with their kids and, and be the dads that God wants them to be. And so the Reformation, we just celebrated that at Halloween and love studying Martin Luther. And we want a Reformation to occur inside the drug triangle because uh, it's more than just a revival. Uh, Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 5.10, that we are enemies of God. And then Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses. There is nothing that they can do to earn their way to heaven, and there's nothing that we can do. But they think that they have reached a new low that cannot be any lower than what they've done. But God's grace doesn't stop at the doorstep of a motel room. God's grace covers everybody. And so if you guys want to be a part of our ministry, uh, praying, praying for us and all that stuff, it's on the table out there. And then 
maybe you want to come and just hang out with us one day. Uh, it is really cool. Some of y'all have done that. Uh, David Hinkle was with us, the, the heckler in the crowd. And, but he was over there with us uh, shooting bows and arrows and all that a couple weeks ago at a family adventure day. But it's really neat to go there and see and talk to these people and just love on them and care for them. And love y'all. Thank y'all for supporting us all these years. And uh, just thank you for the prayers. I I let Luke do most of the talking, but I also want to echo the thank you to all of y'all. I mean, y'all have stuck with us through so many years of of varying ministries, and um, we just feel like we're right where... Um, God wants us right now, but we couldn't be there without all all of y'all. So we love you so much, and thank you. And I just want to get us started with our worship time. I want to share a song called Christ Be Magnified. You've probably heard it before, but I had not heard it till just a few weeks ago. So um, I just want this to be our prayer, that Christ would be magnified through our lives. creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be the whole earth echoing his imminence his name would burst from sea and sky from rivers to the mountain tops we'd hear Christ be magnified be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me When every creature finds its inmost melody And every human heart its native cry Then in one enraptured hymn of praise We'll sing Christ be magnified Be magnified Yeah. 
stand strong and worship you if it puts me in the fire i'll rejoice because you're there too so i won't be formed by feelings i'll hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation then i'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Oh, Christ be come this morning to magnify Christ in our lives, magnify Christ in our worship together as an assembly of believers that are here today. Anyway, let's just uh, praise the name of Jesus. Let's just sing that right there together. All sing together. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In Him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's do that one more time. Sing it to Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Praise the Let everything 
thing that has breath. Praise the Lord. You have breath this morning. Let's all rise and let's praise the Lord together. Sing to the Lord. You made the starry host. You traced the mountain peaks. You paint the evening skies with wonders. The earth it is your throne. From desert to the sea, all nature testifies your splendor. Praise the
Praise the Lord. Let's give him a hand this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. We are going to behold our God, the King of all creation. Listen to the words as the choir sings. <coughs>
Praise God. Let's all pray together, may we? Father, we behold you this morning, the one who is seated on your throne, and we come to adore you. We come to magnify you. We come to praise you, Lord. Father, we are not the issue. You are the issue. You are the reason we are here. You are the reason why we come to bow down and worship this morning together as a group of believers who love you and want to serve you and just honor you with every bit of our being that we can. Lord, we come to you this morning just thanking you and praising you for who you are. Lord, not just for what you have done in our life, which is magnificent, Lord, but just for who you are, the great creator of all things, the one who put things in order, the one who holds things together. Lord, you are the great and mighty king, and we come to worship you. We come to obey you. We come to bow down before you this morning. Oh, God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us, not that we deserve it, but you give us to be a part of your family, that we can come to you as our Father, and we can love you as our Father. We can come as children needing your guidance, needing your protection. Lord, you are such a magnificent Father, and Lord, we love you this morning. God, we thank you again for this time that we have together Father, I pray for Thad as, as he comes and brings the message that you have given to him this morning. And Lord, may the Spirit of God move in our hearts today. And as we leave here today, Father, not that we are blessed, Father, but that you are blessed and that you are satisfied with our heart of worship. Oh God, thank you for this time. Be with us now. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I need you to take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 2. And then also, if you could put your uh, fingers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's where we'll spend a decent amount of time uh, this morning. How many of you have used the phrase, it really doesn't matter? How many of you have heard your children say, it really doesn't matter. It's a phrase that we use that, uh, quite honestly, um, we probably need to give more thought to because a lot more matters than one would want to admit. In fact, I found growing up that everything that my father said mattered. It mattered at least to him. I do not know how many of you have been to Niagara Falls. Have you been tonight? How many of you have been just on the American side? Does it matter that you would be on the Canadian side as well and view the falls? Answer? Absolutely. Without question. Because if you just view the falls 
on the American side, you're obstructed somewhat. But whenever you go to the Canadian side, it's wide open. It really matters that you would cross the border and view the falls. So if you've just been to the American side, get in your vehicle this afternoon and drive <laughs> to Canada so that you're able to see the full uh, presentation of God's creation. If you've never been to Niagara Falls, you need to plan a trip to Niagara Falls. It's absolutely beautiful. My point being this, it really does matter with the falls, the way one views it, but it really does matter that all of us in this room are interested in eschatology. It really does matter. If you're one of those that says that really doesn't matter a whole lot, I really feel sorry for you because you're missing out on one of the great motivations to live the Christian life to the glory of the Lord Jesus. It really matters that we have a correct perspective on the last things or the last days. R. Stanton Norman, who is the vice president for campus life at um, Oklahoma Baptist University, wrote this. Many well-meaning Christians today interpret eschatology as nothing more than endless or pointless speculation with little or no practical value for a life of faith in Christ. Eschatology, however, is the call of God to live in the present in light of the future. That sound okay? To live in the present in light of the future. Now, I would add to that to say that many times when we think about the return of Christ, we have it way out here in some far distant land. Oh, he's coming back one day. It can be today. So it's incumbent on us then that we would live each day as if he's coming today. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we would live each moment as if he could show up this very moment. Wouldn't that be okay? It would be okay for some. I hope it would be okay for everyone, but if you're not in Christ today, it would not be okay for you because as the scriptures tell us, there is a tribulation period coming that is going to be quite ugly. And uh, if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior before he comes, if you do not do that, you will face that tribulation period. And it will be a gruesome time. Well, all of that said, we began last week to look at this bridge. And I need to do just a little bit of review before we get to our text this morning, primarily in 1 Corinthians 3. Remember last week, we looked at this subject of facing the Lord. And we said it matters how we face Him. I mean... If you left last week and you left with, it doesn't really matter how I face him, you missed the whole thing because it matters how we face the Lord. Now, it is true that each one of us that are in Christ will be with the Lord, but facing the Lord is something that John speaks to his 
readers about. Remember in verse 28 of chapter 2, he said, Now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I gave you a simple outline. I did not put it back up there. But the simple outline is, first of all, John speaks about his little children. The, this term, remember, means born ones. These are believers that he is talking about. So we talked about that and his affection for them. He had an affection for those that read. I mean, right? We, we understand that, that we love other believers. John loved these believers, and so he writes about that here in this book. He refers to them as born ones. And then we said um, he, gave, he gives a command to his readers, and that command is abide in him. It means to be at home in his, at, uh, with the Lord. It means to remain in him. We talked about some synonymous things in Scripture, like walking by the Spirit. So it's being in, I would just say, using our vernacular, being in close proximity to Christ all the time. That's the idea of it, okay? Enjoying that relationship with Christ through the fellowship that's available uh, every day with Him, all right? And then we looked at uh, not only the command to abide in Him, but we looked at the cause or the reason. Why does John tell these guys, hey, abide in the Lord? He gives it to us right here. That when He shall appear, we may have what? Confidence. Remember, this is not arrogance. There's a difference. This is confidence. This is actually the, the word has the idea of boldness. That we would have a boldness before the Lord when we see him. And remember we said that the definition has to do with speaking face to face with the Lord. That when we see him, we want to have the boldness to be able to have a conversation with our Lord. You say, that I plan on having a conversation with my Lord. Well, I'm glad you do. I do as well. But how will I see him first? That matters. And John says to his readers, look, we, and notice he includes himself there. He says that when he appears, we may have confidence. We may have the boldness to speak with our Lord. Wow, what's that going to look like? Can you imagine? And not be ashamed because the other alternative is that when he appears, I may be ashamed. That can happen. I may, remember what that meant, I may shrink away. Why would one shrink away when seeing the Lord? It's a good question. The answer is right there in that verse. If I'm not abiding in him, I'm going to shrink away. It's, it's, this is simple. It's right there in front of us. John's saying, look, you want to have confidence? When he appears, abide in him. If you don't abide in him, you're going to be shrinking away. Now, this is not about one's salvation. Because when the Lord comes for his church, you're going to be with the Lord forever. It's about that initial seeing my Savior face to face. Will I have confidence or will I back away and shrink away? Well, it's interesting because John in chapter 4 of 1 John uses this same term. So I'm like, okay, 
we got to deal with what's here. Because John has in mind for his readers that they would think beyond just their Christian life then, but that they would live their Christian life in light of the day that's coming. Notice what he says, 1 John 4, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence, same term, <laughs> in the day of judgment. Hold on a second, that I didn't know I was going to be judged, because I'm in Christ. Well, Scripture tells us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? This judgment, called the Bema Seat Judgment, is not a judgment about salvation. It's a judgment about service and how one serves the Lord. Okay? You ever thought about that? How we serve the Lord. We're going to be judged for that. In fact, one author says we're even going to be, we're going to be judged for our actions... Our attitudes and our motivation in serving the Lord. I like that. Our actions, our attitudes, and our motivation in serving the Lord. Now, the fact of this judgment, I showed you um, last week this chart. You can see that chart? Yes? You can speak. Yes? Okay. So, right now... We are in the church age, okay? And um, the next event on the calendar of our Lord, according to the Bible, now not listening to outside sources, just according to the Bible, is the rapture. And we taught, there's a couple of passages there that are mentioned. Um, that's a huge one here, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, they're both great passages. Uh, what does John tell his disciples in John 14, pre-crucifixion and resurrection? Hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming again to re receive you, right, to myself, that where I am you may be also. So we know that the Lord is coming back for his church, okay? Now, immediately, at some time between the rapture and the second coming, you have the judgment seat of Christ. That's for every one of us in this room who is in Christ. Everyone. If you've ever been late for an appointment, you won't be late for that one. Okay, now, this is very important to say. This appointment is not about judging your sin. It's about judging your service. He's already judged that sin. He's paid for your sin. I think a lot of people have the mind that I'm going to... Stand before the Lord, and there's just going to be this reel that goes on about my whole life. This is not a judgment for sin. Christ paid that price. You understand what I'm saying? The ones that reject that, oh, they have a judgment. It's this one, right? So you've been told, just in case, right, you appear at that one, you're going to know that's not good. The judgment seat of Christ is about the service of the believer, the life of service of the believer, okay? This is very, very critical uh, to understand. Now, I wanted to give you, just for your information, a comparison of the two. If you want to take a picture of that, that's great. I didn't come up with the chart. This guy here, Danny Aiken, wrote The Return of Christ. If you don't have that book, get that book. I have in my library a lot of books on eschatology.
this is one of the most practical ones that speaks about the theology, but about the practice. I really like this guy. I, really, really good. I, have, I had to buy this book because I'm taking a class. <laughs> and so I'm enjoying re- reading this book. It is a wonderful book. So if you do not have it, get it. Okay? And if you want to borrow mine, the answer is maybe. All right? All right. So here's the comparison that he gives between the judgment seat or Bema seat. That's where we get the, the term Bema seat or Bema seat, as some call it. Um, when you see judgment seat, it's the Greek word bema, okay? Um, here's the two judgments, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. So you can read that for yourself, but let's just go over it quickly. Um, judgment seat of Christ is believers only, okay? Now remember, this takes place after the rapture, before the second coming. There are two big events that take place in heaven, while the tribulation period is going on down on the earth. One is the Bema Seat Judgment. The other is the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Okay? And you can read about that in Revelation. Um, so this is believers only. These are the scriptures. We'll look at those in just a moment. The basis all right, of this judgment is faithfulness of Christ and resultant good works even to motivations. All right, and we're going to see what Paul had in mind um, in 1 Corinthians. The time between the rapture and the second coming, the results, gain, or loss of rewards. And that's going to impact one's position in the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So that's the judgment seat. And by the way, you're glad for that, believers only. Okay, You don't want to be at this one which is the great white throne judgment. It's for unbelievers only. The Revelation 20 is the passage, the basis of rejection of Christ and thus one's own righteousness. It happens at the end of the millennial period prior to the eternal state. And the result there is not a good one. You're going to be forever put into the lake of fire. By the way, that's not like a, I'm going to get out in five years. Sorry, um, there's a guy named Rob Bell. Any of you heard the guy? And he believes everybody's going to just eventually end up in heaven, eventually. That's not what my Bible says. I mean, so in other words, there ought to be a sense of urgency, can we say that, to share the gospel. Well, there are a lot of people going to hell, as it stands today. You just think about world religions. You think about China and India. Just in population. And the total rejection almost of Jesus Christ. Just in those two countries. And we're talking about 4 billion people or so. A lot of people. Okay. So let's look briefly at these passages um, that speak of the judgment seat uh of Christ. Okay, so this one's set, Romans 14 is set in the context of questionable things. It's about Christian liberty, okay? Uh, whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, all right? And so that's one of the issues he discusses, Paul does. He says, but you again, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat or the Bema seat of God. Okay? Every single person that knows Christ will stand before the Lord Jesus. Okay? And then you have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, um, whether with the Lord or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice there's in these statements, it's all. What does all mean? All. Okay. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. A lot of times people have a hard time with that word bad. They're, they're thinking about this, ooh, this awful thing, these awful things. The definition of that in the Greek, the word bad is worthless or of no value. Okay, well, that's different. Because in the context, he's speaking about, if you tie it to 1 Corinthians 3, he's speaking about the judgment seat of Christ where the Lord will judge one's works or one's deeds done in the body for him, whether they're good or bad. Okay? Are they done according to your wisdom, man's wisdom, man's philosophy? Or are you standing on the foundation as you are doing those things, which is Jesus Christ? And so the only one that knows that is who? Jesus Christ. I was thinking this week about this day, and I was like, man, Lord, I'm guilty. Sometimes my motivations in serving him have not been right. Any of you are guilty of that? I'm just being honest. I was thinking about it. I'm like, and I know I'm not going to get away with anything because my Bible tells me that I am open and laid bare before him according to Hebrews. There's nothing he will not know. He is omniscient. So we can't say... Well, the Lord's omniscient today, but when I stand in front of him, no, he's not going to know everything. That doesn't make any sense. He always has been omniscient, and he always will be omniscient. So, it matters that we understand, first of all, that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It matters our actions, our attitudes, and our motives as we build on the foundation which is Jesus Christ. I want to give you one more thing to think about. This is John MacArthur's definition of the judgment seat. I, I, I like this. I, there's others, but I liked his a lot. The term judgment seat is the word bema, which is in the Greek culture was a platform. I was supposed to have some pictures today. I won't mention Robbie Roberts' name, but I was supposed to have some pictures of, of, of the bema seat. We'll talk later, Robbie. Um, which in Greek culture was a platform. It was raised up where speeches were made and legal cases were judged. But notice what he says. Primarily the Bema seat or Bema seat was the place where athletes went to receive their crown or crowns. Okay? So what do you have in mind there? Rewards. Okay? Rewards. Which the scripture uh, speaks about. So, I want us to spend the rest of our time in 1 Corinthians 3, 
Um, we will come back to this um, because we're just going to have to. But I want to give you some things to think about this morning as it relates to 1 Corinthians 3. And I want us to understand the context. When I was thinking about the judgment seat of Christ and examples that, were used, that would be used to talk about the judgment seat, I thought, wow, isn't it quite alarming or amazing that the judgment seat of Christ in one sense would be given to us in terms of, of detail about how that's going to look coming through the Corinthian church? I mean, these guys had a lot of issues. And yet, it's amazing to me that the Lord would use the Apostle Paul in writing to these believers here um, about the Bema seat. Although they needed some motivation, didn't they, based on what we read in the context. Notice what it says in verse 1. And I, brethren, that's plural, so he's talking about brothers and sisters. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Now, that idea of spiritual there is one who examines or one who investigates. That's what it means. Meaning this, a spiritually mature person examines and investigates. What do they examine and investigate? They examine and investigate what God's word says in relationship to, in context, serving him or building on the foundation which is Jesus Christ. You say, that doesn't make sense. Well, sure it does. What it means is this. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Paul built on that foundation. The apostles built on that foundation. All right? How they build on it? They preached the gospel. They stayed within the confines of what the Lord Jesus had told them to do. Does that make sense? What did he tell them to do? You go out and what? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, if I'm going to build on the foundation, I need to do that. And then what does it say? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Oh, okay. So if I'm building on the foundation, bottom line is I'm building on what? The truth. The truth. And who is the truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. Okay? So he says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh or immature believers, immature Christians. And notice this next phrase, as to infants... In Christ. Is their salvation questionable? Answer, no. You say, how do you know that, Thad? Well, you see that little phrase in Christ? It occurs over 300 times in the New Testament. And you know its application and meaning? Believers. Are you listening to me? Believers. You say, yeah, but Thad, these people, man, they were, they were a shipwreck. I mean, these people were awful. Look at all the things they did. They were suing one another. I mean, they had issues with one another. Look, they're, they're picking, I, I'm a Paul, I'm of a Paul. There's schism in the church. Yeah. There's schism in the church today. You say, well, not in this one. Well, maybe not in this local assembly, but I guarantee you within the church of the Lord Jesus, there's schism. You could just take a lot of different issues. And discuss the schism that's going on in the church. There's a lot of different things. 
We don't have time to talk about those today. Notice what he says. They're infants in Christ. And then he says, I gave you, past tense, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. In other words, you weren't ready to chew on the meat. Now, I think that has a lot of application for today's church. I think there are a lot of people in the church that are sipping on milk. That's just my opinion. I think one of the ways we can know if we're just taking the bottle, so to speak, meaning milk bottle, or whether we're chewing on that steak, which sounds really good right about now, is this. I can at least ask the question, how much time am I investigating the scriptures? How much time do I spend doing that or examining what the Lord wants me to do? So he says, you were not yet able to receive it. And this is awful, verse 2. Indeed, even now you're not. You're not ready now. He says, for you're still fleshly. You're still acting like mere men, he says. For since there is jealousy, and this is, this is what was going on. There's jealousy and there's strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? What, what do we expect in the world? The world's going to behave like what? The world. But the Lord expects this church to behave differently. You expect schism and jealousy and strife and all that outside. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Yeah. You know, that goes on today, by the way. Just a brief commercial. It goes on today. It, it, it goes on, you hear people, well, I'm of this teacher, well, I'm of that teacher, well, I'm of this teacher, well, I'm of that. Hello, hopefully they're of Christ. Guess who I am of? Christ. Are you of Christ? Yes. So what are we looking for when those are leading or teaching? That they be people who are standing on the foundation, which is Christ. Notice he says, verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? I'm uh, real particular when I read, if you have not noticed. So the word order here is interesting to me, the way Paul writes that. He doesn't say, what is Paul first? He says, what is Apollos first? You say, why does he do that? I don't know. Can I just throw out humility? That as much as Paul is accused of being an arrogant apostle... He wasn't at all. He wasn't saying, hey, me first. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. So he recognizes that Apollos is a servant just like he was. Through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Emphasis on... God was causing the growth. But you had two who were what? One was planting, one was watering. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Paul is recognizing Apollos as a servant and himself as a servant of the Lord. But he's also recognizing that it is who? 
God who causes the growth. Years ago, I said, I'll never forget, I, I made this statement, and I had somebody come up to me after the message, and he said, Thad, you've just freed me. I said, no, the Lord did. He said, you know, I've been trying to save people. I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't save anybody. The Lord saves, right? He's the one that does that. But look at the responsibility that Paul had, that Apollos had, that we have. We plant and we water. So he says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Now here we go. He introduces something here. But each will receive his own, what? Reward according to his own labor. So that even indicates there in verse 8, there's going to be an individual standing before the Lord giving an account for how he builds or how she builds on the foundation. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Here we go. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. What did Paul do? Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apollos, the same thing. Luke, the same thing. All these guys building on the foundation. He says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Now that word careful is an interesting word. Do you know it's it's one of the words we use for the word to see something. Isn't that interesting? It has the idea of coming to a realization or perceiving something. It's, it, it's the idea of carefully examining how one builds on something. And he tells us that we're building on the foundation. Notice he says, verse 11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we need to have in our minds that the foundation is Jesus Christ. And that all of us are building on that foundation. Okay, So we're not building apart from that. We're not doing anything in our own strength or in our own abilities. We're building on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why it's so imperative that you examine and you investigate your spiritual gift. Because as you use your spiritual gift for the glory of the Lord, what are you doing? You're building on the foundation. You say, well, who benefits from that? Those people that are in your midst, they're benefiting from that, that you've examined, that you've investigated. So it's got to be, the mindset has to be, hey, look, I'm just not mindlessly wandering through the Christian life. I think that's almost a plague. We're not just meeting on Sundays to come and worship the Lord, although we need to do that. But we are investigating, we are examining, Lord, as I'm with your body and I'm building on your foundation, what is it that you want me to do in order to glorify you? How does that sound? Instead of just showing up and I'm going to church today. No, 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 no. I'm going to build on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. 
And you know what I'm going to do, Lord? I'm going to use that gift you've given me of encouragement today to build on that foundation. And I'm going to use that gift of teaching that you've given me to build on that foundation. Imagine if people attended church with that in mind. I'm going to build on the foundation today. The foundation which is Jesus Christ. Well, he says, verse 12, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Okay? Every, notice he says, each man's work will become evident or clear. For the day, what day? The day that the Lord judges you and me. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with what? Fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Well, how's he going to do that? Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains... He will receive a reward. So, as a Christian, foundation is Jesus Christ. I'm building on that foundation. All right? I want to build on that foundation not through my efforts, not through human wisdom, but as the Spirit of God leads me. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a difference. I can build on the foundation with just me and my efforts and my wisdom and man's philosophy and all that stuff. Or I can build on the foundation with the scriptures and what the scriptures tell me about who I am and about the responsibilities I have in serving him. So he says, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. So... Notice the descending order here, gold, silver, precious stones, all right? When those, are, when those works are judged, that gold, that silver, those precious stones, they will remain, okay? And you will receive a reward, or rewards. But notice it says, if any man's work is burned up, well, what burns up? Wood, hay, straw. So you have gold, silver, precious stones. They don't burn up. They remain. Wood, hay, straw, what do they do? They burn up. Notice what it says. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Some people view that phrase, he will suffer losses, he will lose his salvation. Wrong context. Okay? Not losing your salvation. In fact, he deals with that very thought that could creep up in the next phrase. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Loss of what? Loss of reward in context. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I like what one theologian says. He says, no matter how much is of no value or worthless, no believer will lose their salvation. Remember, this is not a judgment about your salvation. You're already in Christ. 
This is a judgment about your service. How have you served the Lord? Um, one of the heroes that I have in my life as a Christian, and I've mentioned his name before to you, but is Brother Thomas Morris, and he's with the Lord right now. He's been with him for several years. I can tell you one thing about Brother Morris. He was a humble man. He knew how to build on the foundation, which was Christ. Every single time we went on a visit together, he was never out front like, I want the attention. It was a genuineness. There was a love. There was this encouragement. There was care. There was comfort. And it wasn't human wisdom. He always brought his Bible. And he always shared scripture. He built on that foundation. Um, what a great example to me. Do you have people like that for you? That are examples of what it's like to build on the foundation which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I've just shared kind of introductory thoughts because I'm going to pick it back up when we return to 1 John because there's a couple of things I wanted to, to go a little further with but I don't have time today. But I wanted to leave you with two thoughts. Number one, you will be judged. You will either be judged at the Bema Seat Judgment or you'll be judged at the great white throne judgment. I hope it's the Bema Seat. But if you reject Christ, it'll be at the great white throne judgment. The second thing I want you to think about is how are you building on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul built on the foundation. John built on the foundation. Peter built on the foundation. Th listen, and you know what? Those guys were... Willing to build on the foundation no matter the obstacles. Think about this. Every one of them, but John the Apostle, who was exiled to Patmos, was martyred. <laughs> you know what? I just think that for those guys, it was this simple. Jesus said this would happen, and it did. He said he would die, he did. He said he would rise again, he did. He told us he's coming back, we believe him. Because how in the world do you look at Scripture and go, well, these guys seemed like they were, no, no, no. They might have had nerves because they were human, but you know what they were committed to? Standing on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what we need today in our churches? Men and women who are willing to stand on the foundation, which is Christ. I don't know. Nothing else saves. Nothing else saves. And what a glorious day it's going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his church. I told um, those who were at the graveside the other day for Miss Peg, I told them this. I wish all of you could have been there. But she's buried down there close to the railroad tracks on the back side of the property there at Jefferson Memorial. And I've done a lot of funerals. 
and a lot of believers' funerals at Jefferson Memorial. And I told them, you know, as loud as that train is, it's pretty loud when it, it goes by. In fact, I've stood there on those grounds and kind of had to pause a few times because the train was so loud when I was doing a funeral. And I told them the other day, I said, that's one noise. But there's another noise coming. And you know what that other noise is? Hey, the dead in Christ are going to what? Bust through, man. What a scene that's going to be. And can you imagine, wouldn't it be awesome if you were driving down, right? Because you're going to be taking up too, but you're not going to be taking first. If you're driving down the road and you just saw, boom, all these people rising. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're going to be taken up. What a scene that's going to be. I don't know about you, but the apostles stood on the foundation of the truth. I say we do the same thing. And I say that the motivation for us to live and to work like the Lord wants us to and build on that foundation is like Dr. Constable says, Dr. Thomas Constable, over 35 years at Dallas Seminary, he is an excellent exegete. I mean, he is unbelievable. He wrote this. The Bible describes the judgment seat of Christ for one main purpose. To affect the way, excuse me, to affect, it should say the way. To affect the way we think and live to motivate us to anticipate with joy his return and to live our lives to please him. Though not the only motivating factor, I am convinced that the doctrine of of the Bema seat is meant to be one of the major scriptural motivations for godly living. Does it matter? Matters. We try to teach our kids when they're young that it matters if they put on deodorant. You remember the first time maybe your teenage son came to you and said, Hey, Dad, um, can I borrow some deodorant? Why do they do that? Because finally they come to understand themselves that unless they put on that deodorant, they stink. And as they get older, they begin to meet people of the opposite sex that they go, Huh. I'd like to spend time with that person. But I stink. It matters. Because if they don't put something on, the girl's leaving. Guys, listen to me. It matters that our minds are set on building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because one day he's coming back for us Every single one of us that are in Christ are going to give an account for how we built on that foundation. Let's pray together. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for the examples that you have given me personally.
of men and women who built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of the apostles. I think of the prophets. I think of church history, different ones who were willing to give their lives like John Wycliffe or people who built on that foundation who who knew what was ahead of them in terms of suffering and shame but nonetheless they stayed the course and I want to thank you for those people thank you that we have those examples help us to use those examples as we face hard things in our lives Father I want to thank you for this church body and I pray that as we come into this Thanksgiving and Christmas season, that you would help us to be examples to those around us that may not have a relationship with you, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, please help us. We pray that we might live purposefully and intentionally, and that, Lord, in our lives, our mind would be to build on the foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these things I pray in his name. Amen. wanted to announce some new members this morning um, to our family. It's always nice to introduce new members to our family. Um, I'm going to ask these new members to come up and to stand in front of all of you. And you'll have an opportunity to greet them uh, this morning before you leave. Um, I'm going to have Buddy and Jan Hughes. Where's Buddy and Jan? Y'all come on up here, Buddy and Jan. And then we have Michael and Shay Deck. Where's Pinecone? She's in the nursery. Y'all meet Pinecone. You'll see. And then we have Alex Brayman. Alex. The last one we had to put up for an elder vote. And, um... I'd even interview the mother of this particular one. But Andrew Blunt is going to go on. That's one of my sons, by the way, in case you want to know. All right. Well, isn't it great to have these guys? All right. Um, it's wonderful to have you as part of our church family. And uh, we're thankful that the Lord has led you here to be with us, and um, so I'm going to ask the folks to stand up, and um, we're just going to be dismissed, and uh, you come by, and you say hello to these guys before you leave, all right? You're dismissed.